Brother Ken, at the end of service, me and you will pass them out. All right? Don't let me forget that. All right. Praise God. We're going to go with the pulpit today. And tonight is ending our series on the five main doctrines of the Reformation. Can anybody tell me any one of the ones we've looked at in the past four weeks? Solo Christo, what does that mean? Christ alone, saved through Christ alone. Somebody's listening, what else? Solo, sola Scriptura, amen, what does that mean? Scripture alone is our guide. Somebody was asking me today, they said, uh, they said was the Virgin Mary born without sin? What's the answer? No. She was born into sin just like the rest of us. Now, now, some other doctrine, Catholic doctrine, would say she was born without sin. Scripture never says that. Because she, just like everyone else, was born into sin. And Jesus had to die to save his own mama. So what happened is, when Scripture alone is not our guide, then tradition of man trumps Scripture. And that's a tradition of man. That's not the word of God. So we've got solo Christo, solo scriptura. What else? Sola fide. What does that mean? Saved through faith alone. Someone else said another one. Solo gratia. Was that Johnny? Solo gratia. Do you remember what that means? We're saved by grace alone. And tonight we look at the last and I think maybe, maybe the most beautiful and it's soli deo gloria. Soli Deo Gloria. Any ideas what that might mean? What does the word Deo mean? To God be the glory. It's salvation for the glory of God. Saved for the glory of God. Now what's the opposite? The opposite is any religious system which would say you're saved for your own glory. Or saved because of your own benefit or your own benevolence. So we're going to look in the scripture tonight that says God saved you for no other reason than to bring the glory back to himself. I want to start with a question from what's called the Westminster Catechism. Now this is kind of foreign to us Baptists, but for hundreds of years, catechism was the main method of teaching children and church members in church. Every Sunday they would review one part of the catechism. The first question of what's called the Westminster Catechism, and it's not Catholic, it is Protestant doctrine. The first question is this, what is the chief purpose of man? Matter of fact, I downloaded this app on my iPhone that we can do catechism at the dinner table every night with Bella. Bella might be three, but we're talking about the chief purpose of man. I said, Bella, what's the chief purpose of man? I said, why are we here? She said, to live. I said, yes, but why did God make us? She said, I don't know, Daddy, you tell me. What would the answer be? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Now, I also, I'm going to throw a little Jesse Watkinsism in there, which we may, we're not going to get into tonight, but I don't think our salvation is just about us enjoying God. I think our salvation also has to do with God enjoying us. That God created us for His pleasure, saves us for His pleasure, sent His Son for His pleasure. 
So the chief purpose of man is to glorify God, and we will enjoy him, but in that, God enjoys us. Isn't that amazing that, that God enjoys you? See, God doesn't need you, but he enjoys you. And Jesus is looking to have a bride forever, which we will enjoy forever. No one gets, wants to get married to the bride that they don't enjoy. So Christ will enjoy us. The Father will enjoy us forever. Second question is what does it mean to give glory to God? When we say that man's chief end, his chief, chief purpose is to glorify God, what does that mean to give glory to God? This is a question and answer format tonight. What does it mean to give glory to God? How do we in society give glory to a famous athlete? Praise them? When someone is, for example, nominated into the Hall of Fame, what is the purpose of doing that? To give them honor? Exalt them? is to make sure we recognize them for who they are. When we give glory to God, it causes others to recognize Him for who He truly is. By glorifying God, it shows others what God is really about. When we give glory to God, not only is it because it's due Him, but in giving glory to God, people start seeing God for who He really is. In my office, I have a few pieces of artwork. One my friend from Greensboro drew with pencil. One my friend from Greensboro painted. One I painted. Now let's say up here I put one of those pieces of artwork and covered it with cheesecloth. and says, do you enjoy this? Do you enjoy this that I took the time to create and put all these colors on here? Say, no, I don't really enjoy that because it's, it's muddled. Your understanding of it is muddled. Most people's understanding of God is muddled and blinded and they can't clearly see who God is. I'm going to tell you what giving glory to God is. It's when you take the cheesecloth, all the painting, and you see it in the majesty and beauty that's been there all along. What we do when we live for the glory of God is we take the cheesecloth off the people's eyes so they can see how beautiful God is. I'm going to tell you, we're going somewhere tonight. That's not even in the notes, but God's speaking to me. Here's what I want to look at tonight. I want to turn in your Bibles to Romans 9. We're going to talk about salvation for the glory of God. As you're turning there, how many of you are planning on going home and turning on the History Channel tonight at 8 to watch the Bible? How many of you have the History Channel? If you've got it at 8 o'clock, you need to turn on the Bible. It is fantastic. Are they? So probably at what, 6 Six o'clock, they'll show this, so I'm, what time is it? I might make this one short for a minute. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get what I need to from the Bible so we can go home and watch the Bible. <laughs> I think you're right, though. But go home and watch that. We're in Romans 9. If you don't like what I teach, you go home and you'll get something else. Romans chapter 9, beginning in verse 10. Here's what the scripture says. 
says, not only this, but when Rebekah had conceived by one man, even by her father Isaac, for the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to the election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. When Romans 9, now verse 12. It was said to her, the older shall serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, and Esau have I hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So then it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. For the scripture says this to the Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Therefore, he has mercy on whom he wills, and on whom he wills, he hardens. Here's what I want us to look at once again in verse 17, this message. And it says, God says to the Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. That declaration right there of the purposes of God's sovereignty says, What I will do is so you may know my power. What I will do is so you will know my glory. That everything that has happened to you in your life is ultimately because it's one day, if not now, it's one day going to give glory to God. Whether it be a Pharaoh who lost his firstborn son, or whether it be you and I who was caused by God effectual grace into the family of God, it's happened for his glory and not for your own glory. So that when we stand before Christ on judgment day, none of us will stand there and say, look how good I've been. None of us will stand there and say, man, I had 50 weeks of perfect attendance in Sunday school. None of us will stand there and say, you know what? I sat on the second to the last row in church for 73 years and never moved. And praise God, I'm here today. I've earned it. No, when we stand there, Brother Ken, that wasn't to you, brother. (laughs) It feels like moving now. When we stand there, it'll be because... God says, listen, I am beautiful, I am majestic, I am good, and I am sovereign, and you didn't deserve to be saved, but I saved you anyway. Listen, just because it's Sunday night don't mean you can't get incited in church. I listen to some black gospel music. If that offends you, then you got a whole different problem on the way over here. And, buddy, they got, I, I started getting excited in the truck. I was just riding, I was like, oh, mm. They go on and on and on. I, go ahead, go ahead. It's okay to shout. It's okay to get excited. Because I guarantee when you stand on that great day, when God gives glory to himself through every knee confessing, every knee bowing, every tongue confessing, there'll be some shouting on that day. Jesus is Lord. He is worthy. Worthy is the lamb who was slain before the foundations of the world. Let me tell you what. If you can't shout about him now, you won't shout about him then. I guarantee some of them teenagers going down that hill were saying, Woo! I'm going to tell you what. When you understand that God saved you for his own glory, mm, it'll, it'll change your life. 
That God took you from the miry clay which you were in, which both feet were planted in, all the way up to your neck when you couldn't even move a hand, when you were in the quicksand and you couldn't save yourself, you couldn't even get your arm out to reach up for it, and God came into that miry clay and picked you up and set your foot upon a rock for His glory. Not so any one of us could stand there and say, I earned it. Because here's what the opposite, the opposite of solo deo gloria says. The opposite says, if you're good enough, you'll make it. Anyone that tries to, to preach a message mixed with law says, if you're good enough, you'll make it. And if you're good enough and you stand there on judgment day and says, I was good enough, that's salvation for your own glory. No one, God gets no glory if we walk there and say, man, I earned it. God gets no, gets no glory if we stand there and say, you know what? I wasn't, I wasn't as bad as that guy. You should let me in. God gets no glory. But just like what he said to the Pharaoh, he says, I raised you up for this purpose that I might display my power in you. And that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy. And he hardens who he wants to harden. you got to understand that if you're saved, it's not because you were smart. Or you were better. Or you made a good decision. It's because God called you. For his glory. And here's what I hear about law preachers. And what I mean by law preachers. Who says, listen, if you do this, God's going to send you to hell. God was sending me to hell anyway, brother. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. No one comes to heaven because they're afraid of God. They come to heaven because they've seen the grace and the beauty of God displayed on the cross. I read somebody they put, they said, if God doesn't judge America for its sin, it will have to, he will have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Think about that and let's examine it for a second. If God doesn't apologize to him, if God doesn't judge America, he will have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Here's what I thought. If God judges America, he will have to apologize to Jesus Christ on whom he already poured out his wrath for every sin you and I would ever commit. Because, let me tell you something, in every sinful city in America, I believe there's a remnant of believers. There may be some city, probably in California, where there's no believer found. But I believe there's enough churches in the United States where there's a believer. And Jesus Christ already took the wrath of God upon himself so that you wouldn't have to take the wrath of God. What's the difference between the the drug addict murderer in jail right now and me and you? Here's the difference. God's hand restrains you from fully following sinful uh, desires that you would have if his hand would not have been on you. That's the only reason you and I aren't in jail right now for the prison, for for the issue of murdering. Every one of us 
if lived by the unrestrained hand of God, would be exactly the same. And we are. That's the same. See, see here's, what you, here's what we've got to understand right now. Because a guy, I was talking with a guy today. Praise God, I got to share the gospel during lunch hour to a, a, former, a former Southern Baptist. He said he hasn't been to church in six years. He said he's been examining all the religions to see which one has the truth. He says, I don't understand why God would send anybody to hell. I said, brother, let me tell you something. Where you spend eternity is what you, where you will be because that is what you have wanted in life. If you want God, if you want God, you will have God. But if you turn from grace, if you turn from the gospel and say, I want self, God will give you self for eternity, and it's the worst thing you could possibly have. There will be no other option for a sinner on judgment day who never puts their faith in Christ. There will not be a second chance. There's not going to be a, a you can pass go again and collect $200 option. It is God or self. And whatever we want here is what we'll have for eternity. The question for us in this place tonight is what are you wanting? Because there's some people under the false pretenses of baptism, under the false pretenses of something called the sinner's prayer, under the false pretenses of church membership that think that they're going to make it to heaven because your name's on a roll book. Let me tell you, folks, there's only one roll book you need to be worried about. And it's in heaven, and it's written with the blood of the Lamb. And here's how you get your name in that roll book, is when you say, God is my only hope. I deserve hell, but I'm asking forgiveness and trusting in Him. And I've seen in Christianity, I grew up in church, grew up in the midst of a drug problem. My mama drugged me to church. That joke's about hit its limit. <laughs> and I've seen some pompous Christianity. I've seen pompous Christianity that judges someone for the way they look or the way they dress. Or do you hear what they did? Or do you hear what so-and-so did? Let me tell you what. Did you hear what you did? Let me tell you what you did. You were on your way to eternal damnation in hell. Here's the problem. When you see the grace of God, you'll start talking about God more than you will people. What your eyes are on is what you'll talk about. Instead of saying, did you hear what so-and-so said? Did you hear what Jesus did? No one is attracted to church because of what we do anyway. They will be attracted when it points them to the Father. They will be attracted when we give glory to the Father and they see how beautiful He is. Not because... You've got nice clothes on Sunday. See, his salvation is not accomplished through the action of works. No one will stand before God on judgment day and say, God, I did enough. I did enough. His salvation is not accomplished through the action of baptism. You know what? We're Baptist. In fact, we even Southern Baptists. We're Baptist by choice, Southern by the race of God. 
But baptism not saves us. Baptism is just your follow through. There's some people that think, man, you know what? When I was 22, I sat on the church pew and there's revivalists. And I came forward and I was baptized. And buddy, I'm good to go. You might say, I know God, but does God know you? Well, he know your name on that great and final day. I tell you what, I had a man this week. He said, preacher, I enjoy your messages, but you need to talk about hellfire a little more. You, mean, you need to remind me where I was going. I said, maybe you're right. I'm certainly not what you call a hellfire preacher. Because let me tell you what, if you're a gospel preacher, the majority of the gospel is good news. I think most people know they're separated from God. They just don't want to admit it. His salvation is not accomplished through the action of communion. This is why as Baptists, communion is an ordinance, not a sacrament. Guess what? If it's a sacrament and it imparts grace, well, if I eat the bread enough, praise God, I've got all the grace I need. No, it doesn't impart grace. It reminds you of grace. It's a reminder of grace. So what do others believe? They believe when you take the bread, it becomes Jesus. Why do you think they have it every time they meet? Shoot, I'll be eating it three times a day. I'm going to be on a communion diet. If what you eat is what you are, next, next Easter, I'm going to be Jesus. If I eat them every time, that's not what it is. It's a reminder of a finished work. A finished work. If I can grow in righteousness, then yeah, let's, let's, let's have church seven days a week. Let's have church every day. Let's have it three times a day. If I grow in righteousness. But what if I don't hit the mark? What if I miss Friday night service? Will I get there? I don't know. That's what workspace gospel teaches you. I don't know if I'm going to get there. If I say 50 Hail Marys, I might. You see the damage of that theology. You see the damage when it says what you do may get you there. You see how damaging and oppressive that is. You know what the New Testament said? He said Christ freed you from the law, but you're keeping yourself in it. And some of you hear and under the sound of my voice, you have the same feeling. Because you think God's going to be angry with you if you slip up. God already knows you're going to mess up. That's why the blood of Jesus Christ is infinite in the sins which it will cover on you. And I don't need no Catholic Baptist. What do I mean by that? When you mess up, it doesn't put you in a place of anger between you and God. It does not mess up the relationship which is finished by Jesus. Some people think that. Well, Friday night I mess up. I better come ask for forgiveness for God to act right to me again. That's Catholic doctrine. That's Roman doctrine. If your sins mess it up, then your goodness is what puts you there in the first place. And that's not the truth. 
will put you at the foot of the cross. Those songs we just sang. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light. And the burden rolled away. Some people roll away the burden at the cross and they keep rolling it back when they leave. Let me roll away my burdens, but then I'm going to get down the road on Monday at work. And I'm going to roll it back. We need to have a burden rolling party. Roll it down the, roll it down the street. Roll it down the highway. Roll it into the ocean and say bye-bye. Na, 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 na. Na, 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 na. Hey, hey, hey. Goodbye. Your burden is gone. Your sin is gone. Your guilt is gone. Your condemnation is gone. You are in a perfect relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And guess what? Perfection can't be messed up by you. Because your relationship is defined by God's goodness, not your goodness. Man, if I've preached anything, I've preached that God's goodness defines your Christianity. His salvation is not accomplished through the action of confirmation. There's some people who think if you intend a four-month class, you're going to come out. They're going to stamp you. You got it. You got it. 13 years old. Did you do the class? Yep. Pass on. It's like a, it's like a Christian assembly line. Train them up. Teach them up. Teach them up. And nothing in the scripture says God calls you into the family God at 13. That's why it says, it's not to him, verse 16, it's not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. I've been asking Bella. I said, Bella, you going to be a Christian one day? She says, maybe. I said, don't you love God? A little bit. I said, God loves you more than daddy does. Really? Yes. She said, God loved me 30, 76, 45. And she just rounds off number. I said, yes. And here's the hope. Here's the hope. Train up the child in a way she, uh, he should go. And when they are old, they will not depart. But it's not going to tell you at 13 you're guaranteed. Because it's not an action of man that declares it. It's an action of God. Somebody just, somebody raise your hand and tell me the age where you became a Christian. Just start raising hands. Yes. 10. Luke. 28. Judy. Okay. 14. 19. 15. Who else? 32. 9. 33. Yes. How old? Six. Thirteen. Ten. Ten. Five. Do you see what we've had here? Who gets the glory? God does. His salvation is accomplished through faith, not of works. It is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. Our foundational scripture through the five solas has been Ephesians 2.8. Let me just read it to you. It says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Sola gratia. Sola fide. Not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works. So that no one can, base, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, 
which God prepared in advance for us to do. Brother Robert, if I'm correct, excuse me, Pastor Robert, you preach this in your relationship about relationships for his glory. We are created. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. All right? So I asked two questions at the beginning. First is, what is the chief purpose of man? To glorify God, to give glory to again and enjoy him forever. Secondly, what does it mean to glorify God? It means to allow people to see God for who he really is. Let me imagine you're a visitor. You're a Buddhist from China. And you come in on a Sunday morning and you see people singing songs and lifting their hands and worshiping. What does it tell them? Whoever they're worshiping seems pretty worthy. Whoever they're singing to seems pretty awesome. Whoever wrote all these songs, whoever they wrote all these songs for seems pretty magnificent. Whoever that preacher's shouting for seems pretty lovely. Whoever that Christian's loving for seems pretty merciful. Whoever that church is existing for seems pretty awesome. But here's a good thing. In order for us to give glory to God, people have to see it. That's why being locked in the building is not the extent of our identity. As much of what we should do should be out there as opposed to just in here. Matthew 5, 16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father which in heaven. Let them see your good works. You know what we are? We're a bunch of light bulbs, and we have a light bulb party every Sunday. We get together, shout our light bulbs. Yay, we're light bulbs. But listen, a lot of light bulbs don't good, don't do good at a light bulb party. When you do good is when you go out from the light bulb party into the darkness and start shining some light. Because it's like 7,000 megawatts up in this place, but out there it's pretty dark. Y'all with me? So how does God accomplish this glory? How does God accomplish his plan for returning glory back to himself? I think he does it to what John Piper, who we're about to see in a week and a half, calls Christian hedonism. I've mentioned this before. He says, God is most glorified in us. When we are most satisfied in him. God gets no glory from a bitter Christian. God gets no glory from a frowning Christian. God gets no glory from a self-righteous Christian. God gets no glory from a, from a angry Christian. God gets glory from a satisfied Christian. Me and, me and my wife sing this song as a duet that we've sang at a Christmas place seven years ago. It says, You satisfy my soul, and I stand amazed at the blessings I've known. When we will truly see through the Word and through God's sovereignty, what God is doing, we will be satisfied. Can you say that? I'm satisfied. 
God accomplishes his glory by producing satisfied Christians who are satisfied and content in what God has done through the finished work on the cross. And they give glory back to him through their life. And people see that glory. And it's just glory upon glory. And lastly, here's a question. Why does God save us? That's, that's our ultimate question today. Why does God save us? And the answer is for his glory alone. For his glory. Not for your glory. Not so you can tout your Christian badge and look holier than thou. Not so you can can resound your Christian trumpet at work. God doesn't need Bible thumpers. He needs Bible livers. He needs Bible light bulbs. Because sometimes a light bulb just needs to shine and it needs to stop talking. If we don't live like a Christian, they're never going to listen when we open our mouth. Billy Graham says the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge God with their lips but deny him with their lifestyle. And that is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. God saves us for his glory alone. If you get into heaven because you did enough good good things, God does not get any glory. If you get into heaven because you live better than that guy down the street, God doesn't get the glory. I had someone tell me this week. He says, man, my buddies are out there doing this. And I can't believe that God's going to let them into heaven over me. Here's the thing. God's not going to let you into heaven because of what you do in the first place. God will let you in because of what Christ has done. We will not get to heaven and give glory to God because of who we are, because of a work, because of a class, because of an action, because of communion. We will get there if we live our life by saying, I know that I can never make a way, but God has made a way. And through the blood of Jesus Christ, I have been cleansed. Then God gets the glory. So, the salvation you have been living. Has it been salvation for the glory of God? Or salvation for the glory of self? When we live in the manner of being satisfied in God. Not touting our own symbol. But touting God's symbol of mercy, goodness, and grace. Points people to him, not to us. Oh, this is so good. I said, Bella, are you going to be a Christian one day? She says, I don't know what kind of costumes do they wear. <laughs> but you know what the truth? In some ways, she was right. In some ways, Christianity is a costume. And we put on a certain air to make people think, man, I'm good. I'm good. I ain't got the problems you got. What we need to do is not about what costume two we put on, but what costume two we take off. And just be flesh. Just be a person. You know what your lost neighbor needs? He just needs another human to be human. Say, listen, man, 
I was the same place you were. I had the same struggles. I still got struggles. That's what we need to start saying. I still need the grace of God every day. So let's do a summary. We've looked over the past five weeks to begin with the doctrine of sola scriptura, that this alone is our God. We've looked at sola Christo, that Christ alone is the mediator between God and man. I don't need someone with a fish hat to tell me what God speaks. Because Christ has revealed what God has spoken in the scriptures. We've looked at the doctrine of sola gratia. Grace alone has called us. God has called you because he's good. That's it. We've looked at the doctrine of sola fide, faith alone. How are you saved? Through faith, not works. And finally, soli deo gloria. For God's glory alone. Here's my prayer tonight. My prayer is whether you've been a Christian 70 years, 70 years, or 70 years, 7, or 7 days. That you will understand God saved you for his glory. And that when we live in that light, people are pointed back to him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are the most beautiful, magnificent, awesome, loving, perfect, holy, righteous, just, good, pleasant, pleasing, amazing thing in this universe. And you are a jealous God. You are jealous when we run to the things of the world to find pleasure. Because what happens is we become more empty. And the reason you're jealous is because you know that the best thing for us is you. And you want the best for your children. So God, my prayer tonight is that we would see more of you and less of us. That we would look to the cross, not to the flesh. That we would look to the finished work, not to questions. That God, we would trust in you alone as our only hope of salvation. And we know it's because of your goodness through faith in Jesus Christ, that our name will be written in the Lamb's book of life. God, it's that grace, that mercy, and that justice which propels us to live a life, giving glory back to you. God, may we do that as an individual. May we do that as a church. May we do that as a light in the dark world. We pray in these coming weeks, as literally we are in a battle of souls, with people of different religions and different cults who are out there trying to get people into a lie when sometimes we with the truth are the most stagnant. I pray, God, that your sovereignty does not reduce our desire for evangelism, but that your sovereignty would increase our desire for evangelism because your word says faith come by hearing and hearing by the word of God and you can't use a sovereign uh, tool unless your gospel is preached. May we go out and do that and be obedient. God, there's a lot of things I don't understand, but most times what troubles me at night is what I do understand, and that's our role, to be faithful. God, help us to do that with your Holy Spirit. We love you, Lord Jesus. We ask in your precious name and all God's people said, Amen.